We are entering the digital realm on the season seven premiere of The Producer Podcast as I sit down with Brannon from Brainy Pixel to discuss their journey into the world of motion capture and what producers should know when considering it for their next film project. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you very much, Brandon, for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me on, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm sure there's probably quite a few listeners out here who are like, what is Brainy Pixel? I've never even heard of this before. <laughs> so maybe to start, just like uh, tell us what Brainy Pixel is and what you do. Sure. Sure. Happy to. Well, um, Brainy Pixel is a Christian animation and production studio. We're based out of North Alabama in the United States of America. And um, I wear a couple of hats, several hats, actually, at Brainy Pixel. My, my titles are Chief Operations Officer and Chief Creative Officer. Um, but that just means I do a whole lot of stuff all the time. So I'm happy to dive into any element of that that you need. Uh, I will say up front that I'm not an animator, although I know a lot about animation. So okay, wanted to get that out front right out, right out of the bat. I know pretty much nothing about animation myself, so uh, <laughs> we're a great pair then. No yes. problem. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I don't know. Like maybe to start, just kind of share a little bit of your story of how you got started doing film and helping with Brainy Pixel and okay. motion capture and all that fun stuff. Sure, sure, absolutely. So I'm a bit of a mutt. Uh, I. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't formally trained in anything that I do today. I went to school for love, not money. I got an English degree and a history minor, um, but that was in the early aughts. I graduated way back in the late, uh, or, or early 90s, actually. And so in the mid 90s and early aughts, there was a big thing in the United States called uh, the dot-com boom, where <laughs> lots of computer companies were popping up all over. Personal computers were a big thing. Yes, there was a time, ladies and gentlemen, before People walked around with computers in their pocket. I know that's hard to believe. Um, and so as part of the dot-com boom, I just happened to have a lot of experience because I was a kind of a little bit of a hacker as a kid and really loved playing around with computers. And so right out of school, I got a job in a computer consulting firm, and I learned very quickly that writing code pays a lot more than writing poetry. So my English degree, while I love it, and it's certainly there, and it's uh, it's my first love and what God made me to do, it wasn't how I paid my bills for many, 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 many years. Um, I was an IT guy, an IT consultant, and did lots of tons of stuff in the IT realm, and became a project manager as well as a part of that evolution of that career. And so I kind of had this whole career in the IT space that went from Started as a computer consultant, went into the university space where I worked several years for the University of Alabama at Birmingham. It's a really large school in Alabama um, in a computer area in, uh, in a research facility there. Transitioned from there into um, actually the defense space, believe it or not. I moved to Huntsville, Alabama, which is a big defense town. Lots of mm -hmm. space stuff. The Space and Rocket Center is there, famous for helping to launch rockets back in the Apollo program. And so there's a lot of defense work. I did a ton of that work as well. Again, specifically in software, I wasn't, you know, building missiles or anything, but I was building systems that help build missiles. And um, then I transitioned into the private space. So I went out to the commercial sector and did that for a while. I was working up at uh, RTP, the Raleigh Triangle uh, in North Carolina, big uh, IT hub in the U.S., worked there for a few years and then became a freelancer. Uh, in the IT space, but all along that whole journey, um, I'm a creative at heart. And so I was writing stories, uh, publishing stories, creating my own um, uh, publishing imprint at one point called Four Fools Press. Um, I created uh, the world or co-created the world's first card-based role-playing game because I love RPGs. Uh, this is pen and paper, not on computers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was called Untold. It created a business around that and sold uh, sold that game all over the world. It did really well. And um, so all along, I'm doing creative endeavors while by day, I'm you know moving ones and zeros around to make my living. By night, I'm creating new worlds and I'm 
writing stories and, you know, generating art and hiring folks all over the world to help me make these stories come to life. So Brainy Pixel is kind of this great fusion of both of those loves. Um, I love the technical side. I love the project management side. I'm really good at those. But God definitely built me to be uh, someone that writes and tells stories. And so I get to scratch that storytelling itch. And Brainy Pixel kind of has its own kind of origin story that I'm happy to go into if you want to hear that. It's kind of a crazy, cool story. Okay. Yeah, I know. I think that'd be fun to to hear how that all came about. So um, back in 2014, um, my my now business partner, we were just friends at the time, he called me up and he said, hey, Brandon, have you heard of something called YouTube? And I was like, no, what's that? And yes, there was a time, ladies and gentlemen, before there was a YouTube, um, the world existed before YouTube. Um, but he had created a channel called How to Draw and Paint. It's, uh, it's a little kid's channel where we teach kids how to draw and how to paint. I often say it's like Bob Ross meets Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. So it's very gentle, very calming. Um, but it was a great little channel. And he had just stumbled onto some of the secrets of the algorithm when he created this channel. And so it was blowing up, doing really, really well in the early days of YouTube. And, you know, back then that meant real money. And so he didn't know how to handle this, you know, expansive growth. So he knew I had a, uh, you know, a penchant for writing and for project management. He needed both those skills. So he called me up and said, Hey, let's, let's create a business around this YouTube channel and try and grow it as much as we can. And that was the start of Brainy Pixel. It um, kind of is the origin of the name, Brainy being education, um, and then Pixel because it's all digital. We were trying to do everything digitally. So that was kind of the original name. And we landed on a light bulb as our as our logo because it works for Brainy and it works for Pixel, but also because we're believers, we're Christians, mm-hmm. and we always want to shine a light for Christ and we want to be bright. And so that was our kind of, um, that was our motto. And so we're rocking along. Brainy Pixel's doing pretty good. It's a nights and weekends kind of thing. We're both, you know, full-time in the defense industry and we're full-time dads and we're homeschoolers and, you know, we're active in our churches. And so we got this thing, kind of got the tiger by the tail and it's growing and doing really well. And then YouTube changes the algorithm. And then the federal government in the United States passes this thing called the COPA regulations. And all the advertising kind of dries up for kids on YouTube almost overnight. And so we start trying to pivot and see what we can do to keep Brainy Pixel alive. And so we rock along for several years, uh, again, nights and weekends doing, you know, client work. We're in the defense space. So we're doing rocket simulations and missile launch simulations and things like that, you know, in 3D. Um, and then we build a little show called the Pick Train. It's um, using Blender, which is 3D, free 3D software. And we licensed that to the Trinity Broadcast Network, which is the largest Christian network on the planet. And we like that model. So we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. And we're just kind of coming to a point where both my business partner and I are ready to throw in a towel for Brainy Pixel. We're ready just to stop. And it's not fulfilling us really creatively. It's not fulfilling us emotionally or spiritually, certainly not financially, because, again, Mm -hmm. a lot of the YouTube revenue had dried up. And so we just have an Abraham Isaac moment where we put our love of creation and kids content on the altar. And we say, God, kill it, take it away completely and let us go home in peace. Or you show us what you want us to do with Brainy Pixel. And God said, what you're doing is good, but it's not glorifying me. So pick. And so it was kind of this moment where we're like, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh, but, but true. And so we kind of backpedal and we enter the season of repentance and prayer and we decide to become an overt Christian animation studio and just talk about our faith and be open with who we are and that we love Christ. And we change our webpage. We change everything. We walk away from secular clients and we're only going to do stuff that promotes the gospel. And my business partner famously now said, you know, Brandon will probably never get another job. And so that was about um, four years ago, actually four and a half years ago now that we made that big shift. And now we're both full time with the company. Um, you know, we're both uh, working on projects left and right. We're working with some of the biggest names in the Christian industry, Answers in Genesis, Focus on the Family, Creator Films, Yippee TV. Um, you know, just it's amazing to see what God is doing. And um, and yeah, so now we're doing animation and not just animation because we also create comics and we do illustration projects and anything that's beautiful and glorifies Christ, we can do it. So that's kind of the crazy story of 
how I'm now a full-time storyteller um, and animation project manager. Pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, no, that, that is, but it's cool. Like everybody's got their super unique story about how they wound up in this industry. Keeps it Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Yep. And so now we're working, you know, with some, some folks like Angel Studios. We were just recently on set with them. They've got a film called The Shift. It's a sci-fi mm -hmm. film. We did some special effects, some visual effects for them. Um, potentially, we're going to be doing some stuff for some other movies that we're in talks with right now. So it's weird, this little animation space, and there's not really anybody in the Christian market that's doing it. And so it's kind of like everybody's looking at us, and we're like, hey, we're happy to help. So as long as we can fit you in the schedule. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, I know a big chunk of what I wanted to kind of focus on today with you was uh, motion capture. I I first kind of got exposed to you guys when you came to uh, CWVFF a few years ago and did your motion capture sessions, and I came and sat in. Those were some of the few that I made that year. I'm sorry uh, you had to see me in a mocap suit. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and. Just as a topic, that's something I haven't even talked about at all on the sure. show. So I thought it'd be a, a fun one uh, to kind of dig into. Um, and so I guess like my first question is, as like a producer, what should you be considering if to decide like, is motion capture the right direction to go with okay. your project or are there better ways to handle it? Well, I would, I would probably suggest maybe we back up half step and okay. maybe define motion capture and face capture for those that don't know. Because a lot of people don't, you know, you say mm -hmm. mocap and they're like, what's that? So, so motion capture is the ability to record in some manner, the movements of a human in reality in regular 3d space, and then translate and track those movements to points or arcs um, of movement in, um, in digital 3d space. And there's lots of different ways you can do it. You can do it optically. You can do it um, with um, motion sensors like we have on our iPhones, you know, um, uh, uh, that, uh, like gyroscope type sensors. Or back in the early days, they tracked it with just reflective dots or balls um, mm -hmm. that would show up on special film. And then they could translate that into data points into the computer. So there's lots of ways you can do motion capture, first and foremost. And there's new technology coming out literally every day. This is a growing field. Um, and then face capture is very similar where you can actually capture the motions of a face by tracking points or dots or just the 3D geometry now of the face. Um, a lot of the apps on the iPhone now or on Android phones where you can you know, kind of look at the phone and make funny faces and it puts a, you know, a porcupine face on your face or a rabbit face or whatever, that's actually face capture. It was okay. The, that is the same exact kind of technology that we use, although we're not putting you know rabbit faces on everybody. So, <laughs> but it's the same basic underlying tech. So your answer was as a producer, um, if you're considering using motion capture, what are some what are some things to watch out for? Or mm -hmm. yeah, like I and I think about it a lot from like almost the uh, live action sense because I don't really do anything in animation but i know like a lot of like avatar and those they motion oh, yeah. capture and do that so how would i decide like is that the right direction to go versus like sure. spending the money to do all the crazy prosthetics and stuff like that and just capture it all in camera yeah so that that really is a big big question and we could probably talk the whole time just on that because it's a big no i mean seriously it's yeah. a big kind of cost benefit analysis that you have to as a producer you have to kind of run um, and I would say the first question is, can you do it in camera? Because typically anything you do in camera is going to feel more real because it is real mm -hmm. and you're just going to get so many additional benefits. Um, I know it kind of sounds like I'm shooting myself in the foot, but <laughs> if, if honestly, if you want something that feels as real as it can, then you can't beat, you know, what's in the, what's in the frame. Um, now that being said, sometimes there are things you simply can't do. You can't have. Well, I guess you could, but probably most actors aren't going to do it. You can't have an actor walk through a wall of flame. You know, most actors are not going to do that. And especially your, your principal actors certainly aren't going to do that. So if you need to have a cool shot like that, then that is something that you'll want to immediately start thinking about for mocap and maybe some sort of digital, digital replacement. That being said, the process is pretty detailed and, um, and it can be really expensive. 
Okay. One, one of the things that you want to wonder about initially is, is the, is the creature or the being that's showing up in 3D space, are they humanoid or are they something other than, are they an alien? Are they a dragon? Are they some sort of, you know, different than human? Because every step you're removed from humanity um, makes it harder to do believable motion capture. Um, for instance, we're just finishing up a show um, where we're doing, it's a 12 minute 3D animated pilot for a kid's show um, where the pr principal actors, the principal heroes are dogs. Um, and so it's kind of like super dogs, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't really mocap a dog. You can't put a motion capture suit on a dog and get believable motion. And even the, even though we've seen some amazing, you know, kind of physical acting inside of mocap, you know, famously, you know, um, uh, Benedict um, Cumberbatch, I think is his name, the guy that did Smog and, you know, mm -hmm. in The Hobbit, you know, he was in a mocap suit. But again, uh, they had to do a lot of post work on that because humans don't move the same way dragons do. And humans certainly don't move the same way dogs do. And so it becomes actually a lot of work on the back end. You might get some general motions or some general kind of emotive moments or poses that work really well using mocap for a non-human target um, but typically you're going to have to do a ton of work afterwards massaging those animation moments to really make it sell and feel like it's a dragon or a dog or an orc or what have you so the closer you are to human in a humanoid form the better mocap is going to serve you because that's literally what you're doing everybody moves differently everybody walks differently everybody has nuances and you're going to bring all that into the character Mm -hmm. Now, a really talented mocap actor can actually change that about themselves. Um, you know, they can alter the way they walk, the way they hold their body, the way their, you know, their gait is, and they can deliver a varied performance inside the mocap suit. Because remember, it's just tracking those movements. It's not tracking any of your physical appearance or anything. So you can have the same actor. Um, Andy Serkis is really, really good at this. He's kind of world famous. Where, you know, obviously in Lord of the Rings, he's he's pantomiming Gollum. He's playing Gollum. But then in King Kong, he's playing King Kong. And those are two entirely different performances. Same guy, probably the same technology, maybe a little bit advanced in King Kong. Even the same studio producing, um, but two totally different performances. So those are some very early considerations that you want to ask yourself is, Am I trying to capture something that I can do in real life? If so, let's do it in real life. If not, then how far removed is um, my my target character in 3D from humanoid? Because the further away you get, the the harder it's going to be to actually get that believable performance. And then also what something that a lot of people don't understand about motion capture is that target has to be designed. So that target is that 3D model mm -hmm. uh, inside of your 3D space that you're gonna apply your motion to. Capturing the motion is really just the first and simplest part of the process. You've then gotta clean that motion up. All mocap has to be cleaned. Um, very little of it is perfect right out of the capture. You've gotta go in and massage it and clean it up. It's gonna be jittery, it's gonna have issues. And then when you clean that motion capture data, you can then apply it to your model. Well, that model has to be designed. You might be able to go buy one somewhere, but it's gotta be designed, it's gotta be textured. It's got to be rigged. It has to have an internal skeleton to which we can apply the data. And that that in and of itself can be a months-long process, right? Um, so there's a fair amount of time and expense in that, even if you just go buy a model off the shelf. Like you can go, say, the Unreal Engine, or you can go to, you know, um, lots of 3D markets out there, um, and you can buy models. But a lot of those models are just the external. There's no rig in them. Mm -hmm. Some of them are textured. Some of them aren't. Some of them are going to have texture issues. When you start to move a 3D model, you begin to see things that you don't see, which is why they always pose those models a certain way. You know, they always look real cool. And even when you spin them around, they look great. But you got that, you know, that you got that guy and he's holding his sword. Well, as soon as you pull his arms down, you realize, oh, they didn't model anything on the interior of his arms, right? They didn't, mm -hmm. it's just empty space or they didn't even texture it. And you're like, oh, now we got to go rebuild that texture. So there are lots of little finicky steps um, that can drive the price up. So understanding your model, your target model for the 3D motion capture 
is super important. And your okay. eyes are glazing over, so I'm giving you way too much tech. <laughs> no, I mean, no, this is like really good because, yeah, like, like this is all new for me. Like, I guess one one question that kind of comes out of some of what you're talking about there is like the casting aspect if you are doing motion capture. Because obviously, you mentioned people like Benedict Cumberbatch, who are these big name actors, you know, doing it. But then there's also, I know, just people that do motion capture, nobody really knows who they are. So like what things should you be considering in that casting process if you're going the motion capture route? So if I was just going to go, uh, you know, cast a motion capture out of, out of the blue, what I would probably go do is find, um, find someone who is already doing it and then try to contact them like through IMDB pro or something of that nature or, or even uh, uh, you can find a lot of amazing motion capture actors and actresses actually in the video game space. Okay. What people don't realize is they're almost all of the video games these days are mocap. And so there are folks that that's their entire career. They go from game to game and they're playing as many characters as they can in a given game. And they're super skilled at doing this. You know, one day they're a goblin, the next day, you know, they're an orc and the next day they're a zombie. Um, you know, so they're, they're doing this, they're living and breathing it every single day. And so they kind of understand all the rigors that come with mocap and there's a ton of rigors and we can talk about those as well, but also they understand natively how to deliver that performance and how to take direction. So if you're just starting out and you're doing your first, you know, kind of uh, motion capture, I would not skimp on the actor, right? Don't mm-hmm. think that you're going to get somebody who's never put on a mocap suit and you put them in this skin tight suit and you, you're going to get this amazing, you know, Grammy or uh, Oscar winning performance out of them. It's just not going to happen because it's a totally different world. Um, you, you have to understand the way your body moves and the way the, the 3d model moves in response. It's not always a one-to-one ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously uh, on our Cubekins show, our first our first uh, 3D show that we did was a little show called Cubekins for Kids. And we were learning as we did this. And it, they're very simple, like essentially cubes with arms and legs. So that's the name. But we didn't know what we didn't know when we created those models. And so we discovered in, in the middle of mocap that their legs were too short. And so a, a human's gait is determined by the length of their leg. And so I would put on the mocap suit and I would walk around as a character and we could never figure out why the character was barely moving. And it was because of the fact that my legs were too long and it was like it was shunting the movement on the model. And so we had to make these these calibrations with the model and how much it would move in relation to how much the data was moving. All this math we had to do before we were able able to get the characters to move properly in 3d space and even then it never really was a one-to-one so we would have to kind of tiptoe to move the cubekins character uh and the same for their body since their body was essentially just one big cube they didn't really have a, you know a neck or shoulders or anything like that we came up with a saying for our actors that said your butt is your neck because when you would move your butt you're actually your neck on the character would move so there's all these little things in mocap that you have to understand. And so having a mocap actor that gets it off the bat is going to give you a much better, more effective performance if you're doing this in a, in a film or in a 3d production. For sure. One other thing I kind of wanted to touch on uh, that you mentioned in uh, when we were first getting started is just how this technology like just keeps changing and growing in that. Um, which obviously almost anything in film nowadays, that's the way it is. So like, how do you, like, how do you keep up with it? Uh, You know, or like me as a producer who doesn't have the time just to focus on like motion capture and what's happening there, where would you recommend I go to just kind of keep up with the gist of it? Wow. I don't know where you would go to keep up with the gist of it because there's so many places and so many people are doing so many things. There's really not a hub right now. It's really okay. one of the failings, I think, of the space is that things are, it's kind of like AI, right? Things are moving mm-hmm. so fast that nobody can really get their arms around everything. Um, but to your question about how do you keep up, I think the only way you can keep up is to have a really, really big budget. 
because mm -hmm. the equipment is really not cheap. Um, I mean, the cheapest inertial suits, which the inertial suits are the ones that use the the gyroscopes and the gyroscope like sensors, like it's in your iPhone. Even the cheapest ones of those are thousands of dollars for a single suit. Um, the optical suits are even more expensive because what you're really paying for there is a suit that interacts with these really high-end cameras that you have to place in your capture space around mm -hmm. it. And um, so what you really have to do is understand first what the needs of your production are. Uh, for instance, with an inertial suit setup, kind of like what we have at Brainy Pixel, we know right off the bat, if somebody calls us and says, hey, we want to do this thing and we're going to have all these ninjas and they're doing all these flips and all these great big jumps and they're flying through the sky. We know either one or two things, either we're not using mocap because our suits simply won't do that. The minute you pick your feet up in an inertial suit, you have what's called drift that happens. And that's where your feet being planted on the ground, at least one foot is what anchors you in 3D space. So if you sit in a chair and pick your feet up, your character starts to drift based on your body movement because what's happening is every little movement that you have in that mocap suit translates to distance and time in 3d space so you can sit with your feet above the ground and your character will just float through 3d space right because it's lost its reference to the ground plane mm -hmm. so we know if we got to do something where we're jumping or we're flipping or we're flying around then we can't use our inertial suits we have to go find some you know um optical suits that we can rent and that, you know, the production can afford, or we've got friends now, thankfully that we can reach out that have some great suits that we can borrow. Uh, so understanding the needs of the production are really critical in terms of what you need to buy for us. We do mostly, you know, little kids content for the most part right now. And so having the inertial suits are good enough. We would love to get into some of the more high end actiony stuff um, for some of our animated products, but, the right now for us, that cost is just too much because you're talking, you know, a factor of probably five, you know, for, um, you know, an optical suit. They're probably in the 10 to 20 grand range for a suit and a setup for that kind of thing. So, but I would say find, um, in terms of keeping up with what's going on, find a great group, um, you know, on Facebook that's really active, that's doing this stuff or start following the vendors of the people that you like seeing you know, kind of what their gear can do. Again, that's going to be a lot of research for you as a producer is go out and find what suits are they using on X or Y production. Like, hey, mm -hmm. on that film, I really like the output. I really like what they did with it. Um, what suits are they using? Talk to somebody, look at their credits, see what they're using, and then go start talking to those people. One of the great things about mocap right now, because it is so new, and because there is such competition, oftentimes, if you're a serious producer and you reach out to a company, sometimes they'll give you a suit, you know, or they'll give you a suit at a drastically reduced rate because they want to get as many people using their tech as they can because then they want to talk about it. Right. Right. So, so that's a great kind of, you know, trick, I guess you can do. <laughs> it's not exactly a trick because then you're kind of hooked into that that producer or that, that creator of that technology. Uh -huh for your suit. Um, and, you know, and there are upgrades or software upgrades that you're going to have to pay for. So they understand the business model very well. Um, but then a, a lot of this stuff is super cheap. Like we do all of our face capture right now with an app that you can get for like 40 bucks on the iPhone. Anybody can buy it. It's not anything special, you know, that we, that we have access to. Anybody can go get it and use it. The stuff that we used at Christian worldview was that same app. So, okay. Um, it, some of this stuff, again, because of the competition, because there are so many people doing it so well, it drives that price down, which is great for producers and for people wanting to make this kind of content. Um, if you're a producer and you know nothing about this, I would say go find a reputable studio that's doing it. Brandy Pixel, for instance, we'd love to help. But uh, not just Brandy. There's tons of amazing mocap folks out there. Um, but be ready because you may get sticker shock. This stuff is not cheap. It is super technical and you have to have people that are very technical and really understand the way the systems, the tech and the data works. That's something a lot of people don't understand. They think it's magic. They think you just put on a suit and bam, I can be a superhero. And that's just not the case. It is mm -hmm. 
a lot of work and it's a lot of number crunching to get it to work right. Once you get your pipeline tuned, then yeah, we can start kind of churning out the output. But as soon as you vary it any, then you've got to go back kind of to the to the the whiteboard, so to speak, and start rerunning your calculations. Any little variable can throw things off. So and and I, what I often tell people is it's analogous to hiring, you know, some really good engineers to build okay. something. It's it's not going to be you're not going to find a guy on the side of the road and you know put him in front of a computer and he's going to understand mocap. It's just not going to happen. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd love to jump back. Uh, sure. Kind of at the start there, you were talking. You know, you given the example of like somebody calling you up. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, if I were as a producer were to call you up about a project, like, what questions are you going to ask me to? that I should be able to answer to give you a better feel for the project, what I'm looking to do and all that. And a feeling of warm fuzzy that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's, that's a great question. So number one, know what you want, right? Absolutely. Know what you want. If you, if you don't have a script written yet, go write a script. You know, we get so many emails from people that have all these dreams and these ideas and they've not even spent the time to write that script. So I'm assuming you're talking about a reputable producer who's, Got a who has a script that's locked and approved. They have a budget that's locked and approved. You want to think about, um, you know, number of characters, right? How many characters are we talking about doing mocap for? Um, you want to think about number of seconds on the screen. Mocap is calculated in seconds. Finished okay. animation seconds, not minutes, which should tell you something. <laughs> um, the fact that it's calculated in seconds means it's going to be expensive. So. Um, know how many seconds you need that character on screen and really what do you want them to do, right? Don't come to an animation or, a, you know, OCAP studio and go, well, I'm not really sure. Let's just get in the studio and figure it out. They're going to be like, that's great. That's awesome. Here's the bill, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and get ready because it's coming. Um, no, really, seriously, know what you want to do and how you want to utilize mocap. Is it just to capture some broad movements you know, and broad brushes that you're going to refine in animation or post later. Well, if that's the case, you might not need mocap, right? You might be able to utilize uh, existing animations. There's tons of existing animations out there. You can go buy existing animations and apply them to models. So if you want a cool sword fight, you may be able to go buy one off Turbo Squid or something like that that somebody's already done and refined. And then you just got to make it work in post. Um, but if it's something special, if it's something that you really need to do that's going to sell this character or really, you know, deliver this moment, then those are the things that you want to really think about mocap for. Um, and same for face capture. Um, face capture, I think, um, really should only be used for those, you know, when the camera is right in our face and we really need that character to emote, unless you just got a massive budget. If you got a massive budget and you just want to make it cool and you want to use all the cool tech, then for sure. Use it for everything. But most people simply don't have that, especially in the indie space uh, and the Christian space in which I'm in all the time. So I would say make your dollars really work for you and, and make them as effective as possible. Know what you want, know how many seconds, know specific shots and specific characters and how you want them to move and, and emote. And that's going to be really, really powerful for a studio in terms of understanding exactly what your needs are and be able to deliver you a really refined and accurate quote. All right. And I I would say just one tip for anybody who's out there is um, it feels like magic when you see it done, but it's a lot of work. There's going to be way more time making sure everything works properly and delivers the performance you're looking for. So be in really close communication with whoever your mocap studio is about schedule. I see Mm -hmm. this time and time again where people push all this stuff that's really hard to the end of their schedule. And that's a nightmare. Um, Don't do that because you often have very little time to test. Testing in mocap is critical. Don't be afraid of spending, you know, two weeks of test time uh, on the front end in pre-production um, or early in your production, because that's going to give you huge dividends on the back end in terms of getting a really solid performance or a really effective mocap session. Um, don't think you can push all this stuff to the end because, oh, the computer does it. There's still a lot of human interaction and in what's going on here and a lot of tweaking that's going to have to happen. 
And as I said, a lot of cleanup with the data that comes in. None of this stuff is perfect. None of it is, you know, um, just fire and forget at this point. We're, we're getting close, but it's not there yet. And so don't push the hard stuff to the end of your schedule and then be frustrated because it takes longer than you expected. Okay. Yeah. You kind of beat me a little bit to, to my next question there. Okay. Uh, but like um, schedule and like timetable wise, obviously every project's different, mm-hmm. but is there like, regardless of the project, it's going to be a minimum of like this much time or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's really hard to say because it depends on the number of characters, the complexity of the characters, you know, what you have them doing. Uh, you know, if you just got a guy, you know, walking through a room, that's pretty simple. You can probably do that in a couple of days. Um, if you've got the model built already and it's already rigged and ready to go. But, you know, if you're building, you know, this brand new character that's never been seen before with all this cool armor and, you know, and you're going to have him doing all these flips and this big combat scene that could take months months and months of work so it just really it really depends on what you're doing there's really no tried and true rule of thumb okay how long this kind of stuff takes um i would i would say again understanding your requirements very in a very detailed way is really going to help your mocap studio uh predict how long something like that will take so mm-hmm. I did want, even though I don't know much about animated films, I was just curious because you were talking about uh, doing the motion capture with Cubekins mm-hmm. and that. Uh, so like if somebody is doing an animated film, how do you decide is it worth doing motion capture or just doing it all in the computer like they used to do animated yeah. films? Yeah, the, the key keyframe animation is what you're talking about. So again, depends on the shot. So for instance... If it's just a walk cycle and we just need to get that walk cycle once and then we're going to reuse it a hundred times because we're doing an animated series, then let's let's mocap that, right? Let's get that done in a half a day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if it's if it's just some sort of face performance and we got the character right in the camera, that's probably not going to be great for mocap. Um, what we did on Cubekins is we actually did it in a little bit different way because we're also utilizing the Unreal Game Engine, which is a, okay. a game changer because of its super fast render time. So the Unreal Game Engine is built to create video games and they've got some secret sauce with the way they built this engine so that it reduces render times on on animation for games really almost to, it's almost real time. So for instance, we create a 22 minute pilot, a 3D animated show and it renders, the whole show renders in about 24 minutes, which is nuts because normally Mm -hmm. that show would take weeks or months to render traditionally so what we did is we actually we didn't storyboard traditionally um our our show which is a little bit nuts we actually built the world in 3d put on the mocap suits and then we walked through the world and put a camera in there and real time went and blocked out all of our shots we put our characters in there we have people in mocap suits and we said yeah we want dad standing here and we want mom standing there and we want the baby sitting at the table or, or whatever. So it was almost like film blocking, right? Mm-hmm. But we were doing it all with mocap in a 3D space. And so we were able to very quickly iterate that way. We were able to set up cameras, set up some rough lights and look at what we were doing and see if we were getting kind of the mood and the feel for each shot. And so for things like that, it was awesome because we really didn't care about the data, right? We're just really just getting people in that space and moving around. Um, and then for big shots where we had like lots of crowds, we use mocap for that, right? So we would put somebody in a mocap suit or maybe a couple of people in the mocap suit and we would have them walking around different passes. We would record that data and then have them do something different and then record that data as different people, right? Right. The crowd. So that sort of stuff where mocap really becomes a force multiplier, you know, these wide shots where we're not really watching anything super close. We just need some movement to keep the, what they're called in animation is keep alive. We need to keep those people alive so they're not standing stock still. Mocap works great for that sort of stuff. Um, it's very, very situational. We were just uh, like that said that three D pilot that we were that we just finished. We didn't capture the dogs with mocap, but we did all the humans. There are humans um, in the uh, in the show, and essentially, I did all the mocap for all the humans. 
So, um, uh, you know, in one, one shots, I would be this guy named Victor, you know, and he was kind of like big and has, you know, great big kind of, you know, military S presence. And so I'd have to walk a different way for him. And, and then we had a lady named Eileen. So I'd have to walk a little bit more feminine, feminine for her, you know, and then we had a guy who's uh, the dad in the show and he walked a different way. So we just did all those passes and we did it, you know, in a couple of days and we had it all and we just started cleaning it and we could utilize it and change it as we needed. So one of the things I do want to talk about really briefly is the rigors of mocap, because this is something that a lot of people people don't understand in that um, it looks fun and it is fun. Don't let me sell it wrong. For me, mocap is super fun. I love doing it, Um, but it's tough. It's way tougher than what you would think. You're in the skin tight suit with all these sensors on it. You've got all these straps um, and you're, it's hot, man. It's super hot. So you want to make sure you've got a well-ventilated space for your mocap actors. You want to make sure you keep them hydrated. Um, and you want to schedule about a half a day and that's about it. Most people can't go more than about four or five hours in a mocap suit before they're just worn out. Because again, you're typically for mocap, I would say probably eight times out of 10, you're overemphasizing your motions, right? Mm -hmm. You want to get big motions recorded so you can tamp them down. You can kind of bring them down in terms of your animation curves um, inside the software. The worst thing ever is to get not enough movement data and then try and have to push it up or try and, um, you know, kind of uh, elevate it. You want to get big motions. So, you're having, you know, people are really moving and they're acting and they're putting their all into it. And it it is very tiring. It's very physical kind of, I wouldn't say it's stuntman level, but it's very, very physical acting. And so don't plan for an eight hour shoot for your mocap actors. You want to probably have about a half a day shoot and then let them go rest. You're going to get much better performances that way. Uh, and you get a chance for your equipment to kind of recover. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, the equipment, at least that we have, uh, again, we don't have, you know, super expensive equipment. It's like the equipment gets tired. The sensors get tired. They get hot um, because they're up against people's bodies and they start getting kind of cruddy data. Um, it's kind of like your cell phone. You know, when your cell phone gets hot, it starts kind of acting weird. Right. Same, same for these sensors uh, in these mocap suits. So you want your actor to have a break and you want your mocap suits to have a break as well. So. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good tip to know um so and you've touched a couple of times on, on different things but i i did want to ask like uh and maybe there's something you, you haven't touched on yet with this but like is there kind of a chief common misunderstanding you see a lot of filmmakers have about motion capture when they're first getting into doing it yeah that it's magic that it just happens that it just it's easy and it's fast. Uh, it can be fast if you've done a lot of prep work. If you mm-hmm. if you really know your onions and you've done a lot of prep work, um, then yeah, you can do some amazing stuff and you can do some amazing stuff in real time. I mean, you guys saw, um, you know, at the Christian Worldview where we did, I mean, it was pretty cool stuff that we were doing, but I don't know if you were in the room at the beginning of one of the sessions when I happened to walk too far away from our router and it lost connection. Did you okay. see that, Tom? No, I came a little late. So on one of the sessions, we did a couple days sessions. So I don't remember which day it was. I think it was maybe the second day. But we were set up in a room, a large room, and we were, we had a wireless router that's part of our system um, that talks to our, the computer that's receiving the mocap data real time. Well, just like most Wi-Fi signals, it has a certain distance. And mm-hmm. um, I happened to – I was I walking around trying to encourage people to come to the to the session – and I walked too far. I walked out of the limit of the receiver. And my mocap guy in the in the 3D space, he just kind of he just kind of hung there like a dead scarecrow. And so I when I came back, I wasn't moving anymore. And so we had to recalibrate. And that's that process takes can take, you know, up to seven, eight, ten minutes to make sure that everything's communicating properly, that you have everything aligned, it's receiving data to all the different parts, that it's understanding where the parts are in 3d space and all that calibration stuff has to happen before you ever do any kind of motion capture. And so you never see any of that on the films, right? On the behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, you never see calibration because it's boring, right? (laughs) They just want to see the cool stuff. They want to see Andy circus being Gollum, right? 
But all that pre-work has to happen. You got to make sure your suit's working, it's connecting, it's talking to the right, right router, that your skeleton is named properly. Every bone in the skeleton has a unique name. Okay. Right? That maps to a certain sensor that has to have a similar name. They have to be connected. It's a ton of little technical crazy details. And any one of them that goes off, it just, it creates chaos. So um, don't expect it to just happen like magic. None of this stuff is you take it out of the box and it just works. Not yet. Again, I think we're getting close, but right now there's a lot of technical ins and outs and don't expect it just to work flawlessly, perfectly every single time. You're going to just like film, mm-hmm. you're going to have issues. You're going to have a light that goes out. You're going to have a camera that stops working. You're going to have a memory card that runs out. All that stuff's going to happen in mocap as well. So, so I'm going to start kind of wrapping things up Sure. here. Um, so kind of my first wrap up question is uh, what's uh, one piece of advice you would give to a filmmaker who's getting ready to do their first motion capture project? One piece of advice other than call Brainy Pixel. Or email us. Um, it would have to be if you don't know anything about mocap, number one, spend some time researching and learning the ins and outs because you're going to get blindsided. Um, if you know about mocap, then you know what you're up against and bring your most detailed plan possible to the table. So that, that will be my one piece of advice, kind of at different levels of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. all right. And then this one's a little off topic, I guess you could say. It's not as much like motion capture specific, more just filmmaking in general. Sure. But like, what would be some advice you would give to other filmmakers out there about dealing with kind of the failure side of this industry? Hmm. So what piece of advice for a project that seems to have flopped? I, I would say don't don't be deterred by that because if the product is out there in the world, then it's going to do the job that it was meant to do, right? If it's out there, the the person who needs to see it, they're going to get to see it. If the project is on your hard drive, then, then don't give up, right? Keep Mm -hmm. trying to get it out there. Keep keep trying to get it uh, seen. But um, if it's out there and it's not doing well, I would say go make the next, the next thing. Because what happens is, is, the more things you make, um, people, number one, they see that and it builds their confidence. They're like the, the worst thing ever, and I, I, from like a writer perspective, right? The worst thing ever is the writer who produces their first, their first book or their first comic. What everybody says is, okay, where's number two? Mm-hmm. Right? They want to see proof that you're going to continue creating. So if you've got a project and you just got one out there, create the next one, right? And try to make the next one better if you can, but don't stop. As long as you've been called to make, you know, to make entertainment, don't stop creating. Keep creating, get that next one out there because you're going to build a body of work. That's going to breed confidence that you are someone who's dependable, who can get new products done and out the door. Um, and it's going to, your customers or your potential customers, it's going to say, wow, this guy or this gal, they've done, you know, five films. That's pretty amazing. Um, you know, their fifth one's going to be better than the the first one, obviously, because the worst film you're ever going to make is the one you're making right now. Hopefully you're going to learn something and you're going to get better. And, you know, the next one will be, um, will be better by some, by some measure. So don't get discouraged. Keep creating. That would be my message. All right. Yeah, no, I, I like that. That was a, a unique way of looking at, at it that I haven't heard before. So before my last question, I guess I just wanted to throw out, like, I don't know if there's something in the motion capture realm you were hoping to touch on that we didn't really touch on. Um, just cause again, I, I don't know this space, so I might just not sure. know what to ask. Oh, I, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so excited and stoked about the future of what's going to happen with entertainment, with motion capture and face capture. I mean, every week something new is coming out, some new innovation, some new way to use motion capture. I mean, just, just, uh, just this morning, I saw this amazing thing that uh, some, some people, I don't even know who they are. They just kind of blipped across my feed. But these folks are making this amazing video game um, using Unreal, 
and it's going seamlessly from 2D animation into 3D animation. I mean, literally like the 2D characters are running up the page, jumping out of the book. And as they jump out of the book, they become 3D and land in 3D space. And the game continues in 3D. Oh, wow. So you've got this 2D game that's being played like on a flat surface that you're playing the game. And then at some point, you're able to jump out of the book and go explore the 3D world that the 2D world was sitting in. And I just like, that just blows my mind. You know, it's like, that is so cool. And so motion capture follows, right? And uh, mm -hmm. you'll be able to do that same kind of stuff with motion captures. Very exciting. Uh, so then, yeah, my last question is just, where can people go to see some of Brandy Pixel's work and uh, get in touch with you guys? Sure, sure. If I can talk through this question, I'll be happy to answer it. I just got choked. Micah got me so excited about motion capture. Um, the best place to contact us is our website, brainypixel.com, B-R-A-I-N-Y, pixel, P-I-X-E-L, dot com. Or you can uh, connect with us on social media at Brainy Pixel or at Brainy Pixel Productions. So we're on just about every social media platform on the planet. And um, we would love to talk to you. If you're a young creative looking to get in this industry and want to know more, we, we love, you know, ministering to and breathing into and helping young creatives understand where they belong in this space and find a home. But um, if you're someone who needs this kind of work done, this is what we do. It's our bread and butter and uh, we're available to serve you. So we would love to have that opportunity to, to do that. So check us out, brainypixel.com. Yeah, definitely go check them out. Uh, I've enjoyed following and seeing quite a bit of their work uh, myself. So yeah, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Uh, so thank you very much, Brandon, for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me on, Micah. It was a pleasure. And uh, if you ever need me to come back on, I'll be back on. I'll try to get choked up. So <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of The Producer Podcast. Until next time, make sure to subscribe to The Producer Podcast, and thanks for listening.